This morning's scripture is Genesis 19, verses 1 through 29. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind them and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under my protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge? We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overflow the overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. 
So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christy. Morning, everyone. What do you do with that? Sodom and Gomorrah on a rainy January morning. Uh, I think raining sulfur from the sky and God's judgment wouldn't be top of our list of uh, things to talk about, perhaps, on a Sunday morning. However, I'm convinced that um, if we pay close attention to the text, we don't assume that we know what this story is about, but we just pay close attention together for the moments that we have. There are things about God here which we can mine and learn from. And in particular, we'll discover all about the, the judge of all the earth. should say, just in starting, uh, my name is Pete. I'm assistant minister here. Uh, it would be, it'd be very good to meet you if you're visiting. Um, as Charlie said, uh, we have this connect table. I'd love you to join me at my lunch table as we have the church lunch afterwards. If you're new here, uh, if you'd like to learn more about the church, that would be a delight. That'd be really good. And uh, of course, we have a specially new member of the church, Toby Harrison. So uh, welcome, welcome, Toby. Welcome to the world. Welcome to the church. Very good to have you here as well. All of that said, let's pray as we look at this passage. Lord God, judge of all the earth. We, we come to you this morning uh, not wanting to assume that we know what, what this passage shares or indeed how to judge the world. We know that that's your job and we're glad we don't have it. We pray you teach us about you this morning. Please open our eyes as we look at the scriptures, whether this is totally new for us and the Bible is baffling or whether we've heard it a hundred times. We do need to know about justice and about mercy, so we pray you bless us. In Jesus' name. Amen. About two years ago, I was taken to court. I was subpoenaed in a, in a, in a very uh, intimidating legal way. I have got a letter in the post. Dear Mr. Snow, please would you attend Highbury Corner Magistrates Court on such and such a date? I thought, oh dear. It was particularly embarrassing because I'd just started working at Christchurch Mayfair and I thought, I hope they don't find out that the pastor's been taken to court. Uh, if, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Probably, probably not, actually. Um, but uh, you get summoned to court and uh, all the charges are there laid out on the page. Uh, I'll tell you what it is in a moment. Uh, I, you know, I, I, there's, no, there's no choice. I, I, if I don't turn up, it's going to get worse. So I put on my suit and my tie. I turned up on the day. Rather gratifyingly, I was mistaken for a solicitor as I waited to, uh, to go into court. But rather embarrassingly, I had to explain, I know I, I may look smart, and I do have all my papers here, but I'm in fact the defendant. <laughs> and um, I walked into the magistrate's court, court number five at Highbury Corner, and um, I was faced with this magistrate. And he said, uh, it was very brief, in, incredibly brief. And he said, Mr. Snow... I said, yes. He said, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? And, I mean, it really comes to the sharp end then. With my minor motoring offence, you know, I'd forgotten to pay my car tax and uh, hadn't got the reminder letters because we'd moved. But I won't bore you with the details. But it does come to the sharp end when you stand before the magistrate, the judge, and he says, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? I blustered. Um, is it, I mean, can we talk about this? Uh, Mr. Snow, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? 
I said, well, I mean, I mean, clearly, there is a photograph of me here driving without road tax. You caught me on camera. That's fine. I do deserve justice. But I mean, I mean, could you consider mercy? Because actually, I didn't get the letters, and we moved house a couple of times, and I wondered if you could, Mr. Snow, how do you plead? I plead guilty. He handed out a very minor fine and sent me on my way before I could waste any more of his time. What will the judge do? Will he hand out justice? Or will he hand out mercy? Sometimes you're torn between justice and mercy in, in ordinary life, aren't you? Justice. I want justice when I am the victim or when someone else is the victim. I really want justice to come on the people who have perpetrated whatever crime it is. Someone ran into the back of your car. You got mugged and they took your phone and your wallet. Someone at work stole your idea and they passed it off as their own. Oh, I want justice for that. That's so irritating. I need fairness. You witness some miscarriage of justice live in front of your own eyes or on your TV screen. Oh, I want justice for this situation. This stinks. I was hearing recently on the radio about a teenage girl who's being interviewed. She lives in Yorkshire, and um, she heard that in the city of Leeds, I think it was, one in ten girls going to state schools in the city of Leeds, I think, uh, don't have sanitary products. So once a month, they have to miss several days of school. They, don't, they get an education once a month for several days because they can't go. They don't have the necessary sanitary things that they need. And this teenage girl started a charity. And she thought, this is ridiculous. How, how is this acceptable in England in the 21st century? She called it free period. And she just said, look, we need some free sanitary products for these girls. And the interviewer rightly, I think, said, well done. I mean, I am outraged about justice every day as I sit at my breakfast table eating my cereal and I listen to the radio and I hear about things that need justice. And I'm outraged. But you actually did something about it. Well done. But we get used to that. We're outraged about justice almost every day as I eat my breakfast. And yet, on the other hand, I also spend quite a lot of time wanting mercy. You know, if, you're, if, if you're the victim, you want justice. But actually, if you're the culprit, I really want mercy then. If I did something stupid in my car and got caught on camera, then I want mercy. If I, if I tried to get away with too much at work, to, you know, tried to um, take a little bit too much rope, uh, and then I got found out, then I want mercy from my boss. If I betray someone's confidence, and they find out, and then I really want mercy from them as well. And it does rather come to the sharp end when the judge stands in front of you and says, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? Do you want justice or mercy more at the moment in your life? It might be a question for lunch. Do you want justice or mercy more in your situation? Justice or mercy? Abraham's question in our Bible story this morning is here at chapter 18, verse 25. Just have a look down. Chapter 18, verse 25 on page 18. At the end of that paragraph, he says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Which is the title of our sermon today, because Abraham puts it very well in the run-up to this Sodom and Gomorrah passage. It's a rather infamous passage about God's judgment. He puts the question to God, what are you going to do, judge of all the earth? Would you do right? By which he is getting at the, the great conundrum. Are you going to hand out justice to Sodom, which, as we'll see, was guilty of terrible crimes? Or are you going to hand out mercy to the people who need mercy in this situation. Will, not, will you do right? And what does that look like if you're stuck in this incredible justice situation? 
deep down, I think we do need a peace about this. Because if you're not sure that God is merciful, then it does impair your whole relationship with him. If you have a, a, if you have a relative or a friend who's not saved, and you're not convinced, if you're not sure that God is merciful, it's very hard to go on in your Christian life. Because you keep doubting God. You're not actually sure that he's fair or, or, or kind. Or, on the other hand, if you're facing some big injustice in life, and you secretly think, God, God will not sort this out. There is no ultimate justice in the world. I cannot go to him with this complaint. Then equally, your relationship with God is going to be impaired. You're going to find it very hard to trust him and go on if you're just facing this injustice the whole time and you think, you can't help me with this. So you do need a peace deep down about whether God is merciful and whether God is justice, uh, just, you see? Will, the, will the, God of, the judge of all the earth do right? I really need to know. And this episode ends on exactly that note. Just turn over, would you? At the very end of our passage, chapter 19, verse 29, it's actually on the top of your sheets, on the service sheets, and on the screen. And this is very telling. Narrator's comment, all right? So it's at the end of the, of the story, everything's happened, we've been told all the action, and the narrator of, of Genesis turns as if to the camera, and he says, so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Did you see? It's as if there are two halves there. God destroyed the cities of the plain. God brought justice when it was needed, because the outcry had reached him. That's the half about justice. But he remembered Noah, and he, uh, Noah, Abraham, and he brought Lot out. So there was mercy in God's dealings here as well. The two halves of what the judge of all the earth is doing. And that's all I want to show you. Just, just two, two points in our time together this morning. One about justice and one about mercy. We'll take mercy first. Okay, so first of all, first of two points. God spares Lot, which is his mercy. He spares Lot. I'm afraid there's a typo on your sheet, which is entirely my fault. The, the, the scope of the sermon is um, Genesis 18, 16 to 19, 29. Sorry about that. But here we go. God spares Lot. In chapter 18, which wasn't read, you have this run-up to the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. And it's a necessary prelude where Abraham stands before God pleading. And it's all about God's mercy as he, as he invites Abraham to plead for him, as, as if he's beckoning um, Abraham on and saying, look, I, I will spare people here. Come and ask me. Come on. I am a merciful God. The judge of all the world is merciful. So just two little things under this heading. God invites Abraham to plead, and angels plead with Lot to flee, okay? So two lots of pleading. God invites Abraham to plead, and then the angels plead with Lot. Let me just show you. Chapter 18, verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Shall I hide from him? God, God is about to give him a, a thread, if you like, and just invite him to pull it. Let me, let me just show you this little thing that I'm about to do and I'm going to invite you to ask me about it. Have you ever done this with a, a, a child? You just give them a thread, and you invite them to find out more. 
I did it in our house this week. Uh, my, my son, uh, he'd, he'd had a good start at his new nursery. He had a really good week without tantrums and crying and stiff stuff. So we, we agreed uh, we were going to reward him. I said to him one lunchtime this week, look, after work today, I'm going to take you for a treat. And then I went back to work. And, uh, oh, 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 my goodness, um, what treat? Oh, my, daddy, 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 what treat? Uh, uh, okay, uh, I'm not going to tell you, but it's going to be really good. Oh, oh, fantastic. When are we going for the treat? After work. Oh, fantastic. Daddy, 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 where's the treat going to be? I'm not going to tell you, but I'll, I'll take you later. And, of course, the whole afternoon then was, was strung out with questions about the, the treat until eventually I took him for his ice cream down the road. But um, I didn't want that for him. I wanted him to anticipate the treat. I wanted the run-up to the treat. I wanted the questions about the treat. God says here, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Because Abraham's going to become a powerful nation, and I've chosen to bless him. That is him beckoning Abraham in and saying, I am a God of mercy. I am going to invite you to plead with me here. Verse 22, what happens? Have a look. Chapter 18, verse 22, the men turned away, that's the two angels, and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What's happened there is a bit like a court of law. You know, the two men go away, uh, Abraham and the Lord are somehow standing there, and uh, Abraham approaches. A bit like you would approach the judge in a court of law. You know, when the lawyer approaches the bench, what are they doing that for? It's to ask a question. It's to ask something of the judge. May I approach the bench? Yes, you may. And they come and ask. So Abraham approaches the judge and he asks, this is his biggest speech, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? What follows in here is something, it feels a bit like Abraham's haggling with God, a bit like you're in a foreign market on holiday and you're haggling over the price of something. You know, What if there are 50 people in the city? Oh, then I'll spare it. How about 45? Yeah, then I'll spare it as well. 40? Yes, I'll still spare it. And he goes down and down and down by increments all the way to 10 in verse 32. May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. There's this rather mysterious ending. He stops at ten. When he's talking about God's mercy and God's invited him to plead, Abraham stops at ten people. And we're not told why. I think it might be because he saw where it was going. You are so merciful. For the sake of one person, you would spare the whole city of wicked people. But we're not told. It all reminds me, this talk of God's mercy. Martin Luther, the reformer, he gave some advice to his barber. And he said, look, prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance so much as laying hold of his willingness You see that God is a merciful God. So prayer, when I'm praying to him, it's not so much about overcoming his reluctance, like he's reluctant to bless, but it's laying hold of his willingness. He is willing to bless, and he's inviting me to plead with him. And you see how he draws this out of Abraham? Come on, I'm going to give you a thread. You pull it. I'm going to stay standing here before you and let you approach the bench. I'm going to let you haggle with me. I want you to plead with me for the sake of this wicked city. 
That is, God wants us to plead for the lost, for the wicked city, for all people in all places. Which can seem a very intimidating thing, I think. Can't it? My my prayers could save people for eternity. Yes, of course, there is truth in that, but that's that's not the whole story. You've got to see yourself as a citizen of Sodom first, if you want to be in this scenario. There is, of course, in a Christian's life, one outside the city of Sodom, a righteous man pleading for me, saying, please, God, for the sake of one righteous person, me, Jesus Christ, he says to the Father, would you spare that whole city of wicked people? That's Jesus' role, we're told in the New Testament. He's interceding with the Father on my behalf. He's like Abraham, standing before the judge and saying, please do what is right. For the sake of your mercy, which I know is true, for the sake of my righteous life, spare the rest of them. So you see, God invites Abraham to plead. And the second thing about his mercy, the angels come to Sodom and they plead with Lot to flee. Okay? So 1A, God invites Abraham to plead. 1B, the angels plead with Lot to, to flee. And as Christy read it, you may have noticed, you get this strange scene with the angels in chapter 19. They turn up at the gateway to the city. Lot meets them um, and offers them hospitality in the town square. How wonderful. What a lovely bit of Abraham hospitality he's offering. He runs in the family, this, this guy Lot, offering them a bed for the night. And yet, perhaps, with a tremor in his voice, as he says, please come to my house. Please, it's not safe for you to be out in the, in the town square at night. Please, you must come to my house now. Do you see the tone of voice with which he says that? Please, you've got to come into my house now. You need to be inside. This is not a safe place for you. And then the angels come into the house, and the mob appears, and there's this awful scene where they seem intent on gang rape of the angels who have visited the city. And at this point, the whole thing feels a bit like a disaster movie, doesn't it? You know, in a disaster movie... You kind of know what you paid for when you came into the cinema. I know the Titanic's going to sink. This is not a surprise to me when it gets to the end of the film. You know, no one comes out of Titanic saying, oh my goodness, the boat sank. <laughs> what they come out saying is, oh my goodness, Jack died. You know, because in a disaster movie, it's a foregone conclusion that the, the disaster's going to happen. The, the only thing you're wondering is, who's going to get out alive? And in Sodom and Gomorrah has been a foregone conclusion ever since it was dropped into the Genesis narrative back in chapter 13. It is going to happen. God is going to judge the world and the city. But because we know he's merciful, who's going to get out alive? Who's he going to choose to save? And you get the angels here coming, pleading with lots of flee. Come on, come on. So look at verse 12. Chapter 19, verse 12. The two men, the two angels, said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry to his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. And with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, 
flee for your lives, would you? Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. You see how they plead with Lot to flee? You see how they, they are emissaries, messengers from God, saying, would you get out of here? Would you flee away from here? We're telling you there is mercy, but you've got to go now. I say they plead. I mean, is it pleading? I think so. And then is it also commanding? I think so. Verse 17, flee for your lives. It's a command. Get out of here. Verse 18, Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, there's a town near enough for me to run to and it's small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. And he said to him, Very well, I will grant you this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. You remember the Boxing Day tsunami, that awful tragedy hitting the, the beaches of Thailand? There were, there were people on the beaches there who realized what was happening when the tide receded very dramatically. And they knew enough about tides and tsunamis that they realized what was going to happen. And apparently they did plead with people, or indeed command people. Please, you've got to get out of here. I see, look, you see the tide? There's a tsunami coming. You've got to go. You've got to go. When does pleading become commanding? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Just get out of here. The angels plead with Lot to flee because of God's mercy. I have friends and family who, they're very much like me, you know. Even if an angel grasped them by the wrist and led them away, I think they would still hesitate. I think they would still not want to go away from the city and from all the things that they cherish and that they love and all the trinkets of this life that they've built up and flee towards God's mercy. I am that person as well. Of course, it, is, it does take someone, something supernatural to make somebody a Christian, doesn't it? It is somewhat like an angel taking me by the wrist when I get born again by the Holy Spirit. Suddenly my eyes are opened and I am outside of the city, but only by God's grace. And isn't God gracious? See, the first half of this, it's all about God's mercy. Isn't he gracious? Lot comes out of Sodom, totally reluctant. I mean, he's not looking back like his wife. She really is reluctant, but he's dragging his heels. He's hesitated till dawn. He's been gripped by an angel around the wrist. And yet God still has him and says, come on, I'll rescue you. This is my mercy. I'll take you. And you won't be destroyed. So God spares Lot. Secondly, this is about God's justice. He destroys Sodom. We'll be more brief with this one, but it is very important. He destroys Sodom. This is, of course, a story that's famously about God's anger. People use the story of Sodom and Gomorrah to ridicule God and talk about fire and brimstone and how ridiculous religion could be. But I think when you stop to examine it, God's anger here is everything that mine is not. My anger is quick and prejudiced and imperfect, but God's anger here is slow and knowing, and final. This week I got cross with my son for getting out of bed and wanting to go to the toilet. How absurd of him. How could he possibly want to get out of bed and go to the toilet? Silly little boy, I thought. And yet I realized my anger is very quick. But God's anger, 
just first of all, is slow. When he destroys, it is slow. Look at verse 23. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. You see, I think we're told that about the sun rising over the land because it shows how slow it's been. You know, the angels arrived the night before in their fact-finding mission. They pleaded with Lot all night to get out. They delayed the judgment and delayed the judgment and delayed the judgment. Then Lot has this bizarre thing where he says, please can I flee to a town and not to the hills? And it is really slow. The whole process is slowed down because of God's mercy until eventually the sun is right over there at noon until God's judgment falls on the land. God's anger is slow. The Hebrew phrase is that God is long of nose. That is a funny idiom they have in the Hebrew language for saying he's slow to anger because the nose was to do with God's anger for some reason in Hebrew. But God is long of nose. He's slow to anger. uh, And he accumulates anger rather than just dropping it on people like I would. Can you imagine the accumulation of God's anger over the centuries and the millennia? 4,000 years of human civilization since this was written. Countless countries and, and kings, countless wrongs and crimes committed. Every dictator in the world has a meticulous file on them, detailing everything they've done. Every bully that's ever been has a photo and an audio recording file of their behavior. Every conversation that we've ever had has a transcript which we can, which we can produce, which can be produced against us. So there will be no escaping the truth. I saw a car recently and it had 10 parking tickets on the windscreen. And evidently the, the local parking permit had run out and the resident had forgotten to renew it and the traffic warden was just coming along every day and putting a new parking ticket on it until it had 10. And it was all over the windscreen like that. But I wonder, in fact, if God's anger is slow, then he just, he just accumulates very fairly wrath against sin and puts them on the windscreen of our life. He applies a ticket, a penalty notice every time. It's measured. It's not quick. It's slow. Second thing under this point is also knowing. So if we look at 18 verse 20, we see that these angels are sent to... uh, 18 verse 20, where are we? Where are we? The Lord said, uh, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And you keep getting this phrase in these chapters, the outcry, the outcry. Chapter 19 verse 13, again, the outcry has reached God. Sodom's sins, we're not just sexual in the Bible. We're also told in Isaiah 1, it's also about corruption. In Ezekiel 16, it's also arrogance. So there was a catalogue of sins against Sodom. But what we're to understand is that the Lord hears the cry of the oppressed. There's this outcry that reaches heaven, and God listens. It's a, it's a very knowing judgment as he responds to it. And thirdly, under this point, it's slow, it's knowing, and it's also final. So at the end of the story, verse 23... beg your pardon, verse 25, he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. There is a great finality towards, to, to God's sentence when it is dished out. I've been slow. I've been knowing. And now here's the final decision. Abraham looks down at Sodom and sees smoke. 
a bit like a football player looking at a red card. You know, you can argue all you like with a referee, but when you see the red card, you know that's the end of it. Slow, it's knowing, and it's final. Here we go, as we wrap up. Will the judge of all the earth do right? That, that is a question I do need an answer to. I need to know whether he's going to bring justice in the situations I want justice in, and I need to know whether he's going to bring mercy in the situations I want mercy in. Of course the answer is yes. Of course. But you can't pit one against the other. Let me just say that to you. This represents God, okay? These Duplo blocks represent God, and we like to think, that we, well, maybe I want a bit of justice from God at the moment, so I'll just I'll take the justice out of God's character, and I'll just hang on to that, because that's the, that's the God I want at the moment. Or in another situation, we might say, I really want God's mercy at the moment, so I'm just going to take God's mercy and hold on to that bit of God, because that is precious to me at the moment. I want God's mercy. But you can't split God into parts. He is a simple God, so he's not composed of bits, of, of, of bricks somehow. He is God. So you don't pit justice against mercy. He, he is just God, and the judge of all the earth does what is right. How does he do it? Well, you've got to read later on in the Bible to get to that point. You get one righteous man turn up later in the Bible in the New Testament, Jesus Christ. He comes and pleads, please save the wicked for my sake. And then eventually God destroys evil by destroying him. What would the church look like if we really had a deep peace about God's justice and God's mercy? I think it'd be fantastic, not just Christchurch Mayfair, if all the Christian church believed this, that I can speak to injustice in the city and in the nation and in the world because I'm confident that there is an ultimate source of justice that will fall. It, it will come to pass that everything is judged rightly because the judge of all the earth will do right. But I can also extend mercy to people because I've been shown mercy. I also have this deep confidence that the judge of all the earth will do right, which is he knows when to show mercy. That would be a, a church that's able to look at London, to look at the 21st century, to look anybody in the eye and say, let me give you the best thing I possibly can, which is God. Let me give you the judge of all the earth in his perfect justice and his perfect mercy. Let's pray. Judge of all the earth, we come to you this morning. We, we may be wanting justice, some of us, and others of us, we may be wanting mercy in our lives. We thank you that you are the God who perfectly combines both. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, Christ, our safe place, our righteous one pleading for us, we have a perfect place of refuge where justice falls and yet mercy is shown. And we pray, Father, that in our own lives we might embody that. We might have confidence in your justice as the judge of all the earth. And yet also confidence in your mercy as the kind one who, who invites us to, to plead for the lost. I pray you do that work in us by your spirit. Give us confidence in your character. Through the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.